0: Chapter 19, Part A of the Monastery by Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 19, Part A. Now choose thee, gallant, betwixt wealth and honor. There lies the pelf in some to bear thee through the dance of youth and the turmoil of manhood. Yet leave enough for age's chimney corner. But an thou grasp to it, farewell ambition, farewell each hope of bettering thy condition and raising thy low rank above the churls that till the earth for bread old play it is necessary to dwell for some brief space on the appearance and demeanour of young glendinning ere we proceed to describe his interview with the abbot of st mary's at this momentous crisis of his life halbert was now about nineteen years old tall and active rather than strong yet of that hearty conformation of limb and sinew which promises great strength when the growth shall be complete, and the system confirmed. He was perfectly well made, and like most men who have that advantage, possessed a grace and natural ease of manner and carriage, which prevented his height from being the distinguished part of his external appearance. It was not until you had compared his stature with that of those amongst or near to whom he stood, that you became sensible that the young Glendinning was upwards of six feet high in the combination of unusual height with perfect symmetry ease and grace of carriage the young heir of glendearg notwithstanding his rustic birth and education had greatly the advantage even of sir piercie shafton himself whose stature was lower and his limbs though there was no particular point to object to were on the whole less exactly proportioned on the other hand sir piercie's very handsome countenance afforded him as decided an advantage over the scotsman as regularity of features and brilliance of complexion could give over traits which were rather strongly marked than beautiful and upon whose complexion the skyey influences to which he was constantly exposed had blended the red and white into the purely nut-brown hue which coloured alike cheeks neck and forehead and blushed only in a darker glow upon the former halbert's eyes supplied a marked and distinguished part of his physiognomy they were large and of a hazel color, and sparkled in moments of animation with such uncommon brilliancy, that it seemed as if they actually emitted light. Nature had closely curled the locks of dark-brown hair, which relieved and set off the features, such as we have described them, displaying a bold and animated disposition, much more than might have been expected from his situation, or from his previous manners, which hitherto had seemed bashful, homely, and awkward. Halbert's dress was certainly not of that description which sets off to the best advantage a presence of itself prepossessing. His jerkin and hose were of coarse rustic cloth, and his cap of the same. A belt round his waist served at once to sustain the broadsword, which we have already mentioned, and to hold five or six arrows and bird-bolts, which were stuck into it on the right side, along with a large knife hilted with buckhorn, or as it was then called a dudgeon-dagger. To complete his dress we must notice his loose buskins of deer's hide, formed so as to draw up on the leg as high as the knee, or at pleasure to be thrust down lower than the calves. These were generally used at the period by such as either had their principal occupation, or their chief pleasure, in sylvan sports, as they served to protect the legs against the rough and tangled thickets into which the pursuit of game frequently led them and these trifling particulars complete his external appearance. It is not easy to do justice to the manner in which young Glendinning's soul spoke through his eyes when ushered so suddenly into the company of those whom his earliest education had taught him to treat with awe and reverence. The degree of embarrassment which his demeanour evinced had nothing in it either meanly servile or utterly disconcerted it was no more than became a generous and ingenuous youth of a bold spirit but totally inexperienced who should for the first time be called upon to think and act for himself in such society and under such disadvantageous circumstances there was not in his carriage a grain either of forwardness or of timidity which a friend could have wished away he kneeled and kissed the abbot's hand then rose and retiring two paces bowed respectfully to the circle around, smiling gently as he received an encouraging nod from the sub-prior, to whom alone he was personally known, and blushing as he encountered the anxious look of Mary Avenel, who beheld with painful interest the sort of ordeal to which her foster-brother was about to be subjected. Recovering from the transient flurry of spirits into which the encounter of her glance had thrown him, he stood composedly awaiting till the abbot should express his pleasure the ingenuous expression of countenance noble form and graceful attitude of the young man failed not to prepossess in his favour the churchman in whose presence he stood the abbot looked round and exchanged a gracious and approving glance with his counsellor father eustace although probably the appointment of a ranger or bow-bearer was one in which he might have been disposed to proceed without the sub-prior's advice were it but to show his own free agency but the good mien of the young man now in nomination was such that he rather hastened to exchange congratulation on meeting with so proper a subject of promotion than to indulge any other feeling. Father Eustace enjoyed the pleasure which a well-constituted mind derives from seeing a benefit light on a deserving object, for as he had not seen Halbert since circumstances had made so material a change in his manner and feelings he scarce doubted that the proffered appointment would, notwithstanding his mother's uncertainty, suit the disposition of a youth who had appeared devoted to woodland sports, and a foe alike to sedentary or settled occupation of any kind. The refectioner and kitchener were so well pleased with Halbert's prepossessing appearance, that they seemed to think that the salary, emoluments, and perquisites—the dole, the grazing, the gown, and the gallegaskins— could scarce be better bestowed than on the active and graceful figure before them sir piercie shafton whether from being more deeply engaged in his own cogitations or that the subject was unworthy of his notice did not seem to partake of the general feeling of approbation excited by the young man's presence he sate with his eyes half shut and his arms folded appearing to be wrapped in contemplations of a nature deeper than those arising out of the scene before him but, notwithstanding his seeming abstraction and absence of mind, there was a flutter of vanity in Sir Piercy's very handsome countenance, an occasional change of posture from one striking attitude, or what he conceived to be such, to another, and an occasional stolen glance at the female part of the company, to spy how far he succeeded in riveting their attention, which gave a marked advantage in comparison to the less regular and more harsh features of Halbert Glendinning with their composed, manly, and deliberate expression of mental fortitude. Of the females belonging to the family of Glendearg, the miller's daughter alone had her mind sufficiently at leisure to admire from time to time the graceful attitudes of Sir Piercy Shafton, for both Mary Avenel and Dame Glendinning were waiting in anxiety and apprehension the answer which Halbert was to return to the abbot's proposal and fearfully anticipating the consequences of his probable refusal the conduct of his brother Edward for a lad constitutionally shy respectful and even timid was at once affectionate and noble this younger son of dame elspeth had stood unnoticed in a corner after the abbot at the request of the sub-prior had honoured him with some passing notice and asked him a few commonplace questions about his progress in donatus and in the promptuarium Parvalorum without waiting for the answers from his corner he now glided round to his brother's side and keeping a little behind him slid his right hand into the huntsman's left and by a gentle pressure which halbert instantly and ardently returned expressed at once his interest in his situation and his resolution to share his fate the group was thus arranged when after the pause of two or three minutes which he employed in slowly sipping his cup of wine in order that he might enter on his proposal with due and deliberate dignity the abbot at length expressed himself thus my son we your lawful superior and the abbot under god's favour of the community of st mary's have heard of your manifold good gifts <clears throat> especially touching woodcraft and the huntsmanlike fashion in which you strike your game, truly and as a yeoman should, not abusing heaven's good benefits by spoiling the flesh, as is too often seen in careless rangers." <clears throat> he made here a pause, but observing that Glendinning only replied to his compliment by a bow, he proceeded, "'My son, we commend your modesty. Nevertheless we will that thou shouldst speak freely to us, touching that which we have premeditated for thine advancement meaning to confer on thee the office of bow-bearer and ranger as well over the chases and forests wherein our house hath privilege by the gifts of pious kings and nobles whose souls now enjoy the fruits of their bounties to the church as to those which belong to us in exclusive right of property and perpetuity thy knee my son that we may with our own hand and without loss of time induct thee into office Kneel down, said the kitchener on the one side, and kneel down, said the refectioner on the other. But Halbert Glendinning remained standing. Were it to show gratitude and good-will for your reverend lordship's noble offer, I could not, he said, kneel low enough, or remain long enough kneeling. But I may not kneel to take investure of your noble gift, my lord abbot, being a man determined to seek my fortune otherwise." how is that sir said the abbot knitting his brows do i hear you speak aright and do you a born vassal of the Halidome, at the moment when i am destining to you such a noble expression of my good will propose exchanging my service for that of any other my lord said halbert glendinning it grieves me to think you hold me capable of undervaluing your gracious offer or of exchanging your service for another but your noble proffer doth but hasten the execution of a determination which I have long since formed. "'Ay, my son,' said the abbot, "'is it indeed so? "'Right early have you learnt "'to form resolutions "'without consulting those "'on whom you naturally depend. "'But what may it be, "'this sagacious resolution, "'if I may so far pray you?' "'To yield up to my brother and mother,' "'answered Halbert, "'mine interest in the fief of Glendearg, "'lately possessed by my father, "'Simon Glendinning and having prayed your lordship to be the same kind and generous master to them that your predecessors the venerable abbots of st mary's have been to my fathers in times past for myself i am determined to seek my fortune where i may best find it dame glendinning here ventured emboldened by maternal anxiety to break silence with an exclamation of o oh, my son edward clinging to his brother's side half spoke half whispered a similar ejaculation of brother brother the sub-prior took up the matter in a tone of grave reprehension which as he conceived the interest he had always taken in the family at glendearg required at his hand willful young man he said what folly can urge thee to push back the hand that is stretched out to aid thee what visionary aim hast thou before thee that can compensate for the decent and sufficient independence which thou art now rejecting with scorn four marks by the year duly and truly said the kitchener cows grass doublet and Galagaskins," responded the refectioner peace my brethren said the sub-prior and may it please your lordship venerable father upon my petition to allow this headstrong youth a day for consideration and it shall be my part so to indoctrinate him as to convince him what is due on this occasion to your lordship, and to his family, and to himself. Your kindness, reverend father, said the youth, craves my dearest thanks. It is the continuance of a long train of benevolence towards me, for which I give you my gratitude, for I have nothing else to offer. It is my mishap, not your fault, that your intentions have been frustrated. But my present resolution is fixed and unalterable. I cannot accept the generous offer of the Lord Abbot. My fate calls me elsewhere, to scenes where I shall end it or mend it. End of chapter 19, part A